0: which uh, we'll actually maybe lean into what we'll talk about this morning uh, in regards to back row Baptists, as we call it. Well, good morning. Um, Joel is preaching this morning, so he asked me to fill in, uh, let me know about 30 minutes ago. So we're just going to talk about college football this weekend and (laughs) see how your teams are doing and if they've won. No, I'm looking forward to our discussion. Uh, I think it's a pretty vital uh, topic in regards to uh, the culture of the church. Uh, But we're going to talk about hospitality and what hospitality is and kind of uh, readjust our thinking on how we practice hospitality and how we think about it. Uh, Because I think that it's one of those things uh, types of activities where only a few people truly practice it, but I think it's because we we misunderstand what it is. Uh, we kind of limit it to this idea of hosting dinner parties uh, or having people over. And we have a lot of gifted families and women in particular who love to host, who uh, really make their home comfortable and warm for guests. But I want to expand your minds on what hospitality is and the importance that it has in the ministry of the church. Um, It it definitely uh, is something that I desire, and I know that we desire uh, in the church to really be a cultural thing. That you know, we when we think of hospitality in the church, what do you normally think of on a Sunday morning? We have a hospitality team, right, and what is their job welcome to welcome people and how do they do that? Great. They greet when people walk in um, what else when you're when you're coming to to a place for the very first time I mean you can understand how intimidating it is to to be a stranger, and we 'll talk about what it means to be a stranger um, i don 't have a whiteboard, do I um, well'll we'll, we'll try to i 'll try to to verbalize the the mental picture I want you to have, but uh, to be a stranger is is intimidating to come to, to somewhere new you, you know, If you remember the the TV show Cheers, most of you remember that uh, most of you. That's uh, funny. That that came up in a reference the other day with a younger crowd and and they had no clue who Sam and Diane were and the and the drama in that relationship and all that and and just really wanting them to get together and um but you remember the theme song? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name because that makes a huge difference. Now, I This is a struggle for me sometimes, but I know you might be able to relate to it, but how many times does it take you to learn somebody's name in, in meeting them? It really frustrates me, and it's something that I've tried to really work on for 20 years, whether I was in business, corporate life, or in the church, and I've always heard practical things. When you meet somebody for the first time, try to repeat their name multiple times in conversations, five, six times, and it'll kind of stick But inevitably, the next time you see them, you recognize the face, and you just don't want to deal with the awkwardness of forgetting their name. So what do you do? You just kind of maybe uh, do what you can to even avoid them, because you don't like that embarrassment. And I think we've experienced that as a church, because as we, over the years, have grown in numbers, uh, we talk about all the new faces that we see almost on a weekly basis. And uh, how sometimes it's challenging because we may meet somebody and say, "Hey, I, I'm, I'm Randy. Welcome." Um, see, like I met this gentleman this morning. Is it Bob? So, see, that's let's give a round of applause for that because that's <laughs> not to pick on you, Bob, but I, I'm notorious for a bad memory. But yes, yeah, he couldn't. By the name, if if some of you that don't know or met me for the first time this morning, I'm Randy (laughs) Cook. (laughs) That's why I've always been a huge proponent of name tags. And for a while there, we actually attempted every Sunday morning to have everyone in our directory slap on a name tag. Who remembers that? And we've tried to, when when we recognized a first-time guest or a recent visitor, we would try to slap a name tag on them because I'm telling you, it breaks down barriers. It, it removes that initial awkwardness to want to uh, to to connect with somebody. So I want to talk about that challenge and the, just the idea of what biblical hospitality, what the Scriptures teach on it. We're going to look at a specific passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. But before we turn there, I just wanted to, to kind of talk with you about some of the uh, the examples that we see in the scriptures, even the exhortations that we see, and even knowing that that hospitality is a gift, and I think some of you um, uh, I've maybe approached about serving on the greeting team or hospitality team, and your first thought is, "Huh, that's just I'm just not good at that. I'm not good meeting new people," and so it might be a fair thing to think about because, because there is a giftedness that the, the, the Lord gives us that the Scriptures talk about hospitality. But if you've taken our membership class or, or have seen any discussion uh, about spiritual giftedness, that we know a couple principles. One is that everyone has at least one spiritual gift that we see in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. But even more importantly, it's the Spirit of God who gives us the gifts, it says, according to His will. Meaning, it's not up to us. You know, we can't take personality tests and and think, okay, well, I'm good at this, I'm trained in this, I've got experience in this. Yeah, those are practical ways to kind of approach where the Lord might can use you in a church. But the problem is, we limit ourselves in where God really desires to use us. So we always... Try to build in the principle to, if you want to know where you want to serve, find out where the need is. Let the need drive how the Lord uses you. Because you could say, well, there's needs all over, but that's just not my giftedness. So I want to serve over in this area where where I have ministry tailored to my gifts. Well, sometimes it doesn't happen that way, especially in a small church. We're not... Uh, Just overwhelmed with programs and opportunities for everyone to just plug in by signing your name. We kind of operate by let's identify the need and then let's trust the Lord to provide gifted people. But not as much gifted by way of how you exercise gifts, but the fact that you desire to serve and you're willing to serve. And then you trust the Lord to say, you know, this is not my favorite thing, but it's a need, and I want to do it as unto the Lord. And so, Lord, use me. And then you'll see how the Lord provides through His grace the, 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 the blessing and the graces that we need to, to meet the needs in ministry. And so it's that way with the hospitality team. I mean, you've you got to be somewhat extroverted. you got to be willing to, to uh, approach people you've never met and make them feel welcome and comfortable and that's our goal but i don't want that to be limited to just a small group of people because they may get that as an introduction but then when they get into the body of christ is that well that welcoming spirit just dissipating because now we have people that that aren't really serving in that area don't feel you know a need to to meet the need in that area um so you, you've heard me say it before from the pulpit when we welcome visitors that everybody in this church is on the hospitality team because hospitality is more than just what we practice; it's an attitude. And I want to talk about that. So let's, you know, just walking through some examples that we see in scriptures because really hospitality has been a part of most cultures when you see it in history uh, and you see it through the scriptures. Uh, in biblical cultures and and it 's really the idea of spending time with people um, it 's uh, not only opening your home but opening your heart and we 're going to talk about what that what I mean by that um, but then my favorite thing for the most part, it usually involves food as well, and I love that idea of hospitality um, but but culturally it 's always been around dining and um, Spending time in the home, but it goes beyond just uh, you know feeling like you have a nice place to to host people, or feel like you can um, set a pretty table. Which again, we have uh, wonderful servants that serve this church well in that area. Uh, but it's really just the idea of desiring to spend time with people. Uh, we see it throughout the scriptures. Abraham, if you remember in Genesis eighteen, Abraham welcomed and prepared food for three strangers. And you remember, it, one of them was the Lord and two angels. But the idea was when the strangers walked up, they just said, hey, have a seat. We're going to prepare you a meal. Uh, you see it uh, with a couple different widows, First Kings chapter 17 and Second Kings. Uh, we see widows hosting and showing hospitality to Elijah. And then again, Elisha. Later, and the Lord used the used that ministry to bless those families. If you remember, um, Elijah raised one of them that had provided for him uh, when she did not have enough to prepare a meal of oil or water uh, or flour. And the Lord blessed that uh, the Shunammite woman later with Elijah uh, provided a meal and even said, "I'm going to prepare a room." Uh, for this prophet for whenever he wants to come back. Uh, So she had prepared a room in the the, the upper parts of her home and developed this relationship with Elisha to where ultimately he promised, uh, he prophesied the Lord would give her a son. Later the son got ill, and he came and raised him from the dead. But all that just through opening her home up in hospitality. And then you see time and time again, even in the, the secular culture, in the... The kings that oftentimes the kings would host huge uh, banquets for the people. Not only for the leaders, but the servants in the land. And then there would be uh, hundreds and thousands of people that would come and they would stay for weeks. Uh, simply just offering hospitality and, and for the sake of gathering uh, and whatever purposes there might be. And then you see it clearly in the New Testament. Um, you can walk with me through some of these passages And this was such a a central part of of Jesus and His ministry and the way He used hospitality or uh, the practice of hospitality of just simply... uh, Some of you may remember there was a pastor I used to have that uh, said that he had the gift of hanging out. And, And that's essentially... Uh, what he's talking about is just the desire to be with God's people and to gather together for the sake of teaching, for fellowship, for edifying. Uh, This was a part of Christ's ministry. This is what he did. This is why he came. Um, Now, our lives are different than as far as responsibility and, and the challenges to our schedule. But yet... It's clear when we look at how we spend our time that we do not prioritize hospitality a lot of times. Uh, And I would say that in general for most of us. uh, Not being insensitive to the demands on your life and schedule. But these are common demand things that we all deal with. So we we have to make sure we're not neglecting those important things like showing hospitality. But if you look in Luke chapter 5... Uh, 27 through 32. I'm going to run through real quick some of these examples. It says, After that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and he got, and he got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors uh, uh, and other people who were reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble because he was eating with these sinners and tax collectors. Uh, and, and Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. So, so we see this practice of gathering together in the hospitality uh, for the purpose of ministry in Christ's life. In Luke chapter 10, we see the same thing um, with Mary and Martha so verse 38, it says, Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the, at the Lord's feet listening to his word, but Martha was distracted. Of course, you know this story where uh, uh, Martha was so taken up by the duties and the tasks that she was missing the, the, the important thing of serving Christ um, as Mary had chosen to do. But you just see their heart was to just welcome him into their home, a, 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 a literal stranger that uh, became very close to Christ through his ministry. Um, and then Luke 19, we see Jesus and Zacchaeus. Um, and this was a huge, uh, huge deal for Zacchaeus, that Christ would would offer himself to come and dine with Zacchaeus. Uh, Looking in verses 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called uh, by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the the crowd, for he was small in stature. So you know the story, ran up on the sycamore tree. Uh, Jesus looked up to him and said, Hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, of course, we... Hope people don't just kind of walk up to us and say, Hey, you know, if, if I come to you after church and say, Hey, Claudius, I'm coming over today. Okay, Karen, if you could have a nice meal done, that would be great. Not quite the same honor as Christ himself offering, but, but it was just the culture of the day. Uh, you know, you didn't have a lot of the conveniences that we have and how we communicate and stay connected through social media. I mean, you're talking about a day where people did not communicate at all unless it was face-to-face. And so, uh, obviously, there's tremendous um, value in that type of interaction, but culturally, we have gone away from that face-to-face interaction because of all the conveniences of technology that we have. Um, So I, I, I think... Many of you parents have recognized the challenge of as we're training up our children to help them understand this. That I think our children are more are more confident to communicate via text or social mediums than they are face to face. I think there uh, are some young couples that are you know opening their hearts but through written mediums and are comfortable to share things with one another, appropriate things, but just connecting on a deeper level than they would normally. And then when they get to face to face, they're just awkward and uncomfortable and okay, uh, we'll talk later. And then when they leave, they're just going right at it again, you know, just great communication skills. They just can't do it face to face. So I think there's so much value in this idea of hospitality as it, it, Keeps us connected on a a much more intimate, personal level. And then I think a great example of where we see it in the culture of the church in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 through 47, where we see this as functioning ministry of the church, which is where I want to get to uh, ultimately in our discussion Uh, But in verse 42, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And you you can't do this unless you gather. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions. They were sharing them with all, as any might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in, in the temple, Breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. The, the, the life of the church and the dynamic of the church was extremely effective to its purposes, and that was to edify the body, strengthen and, and to be community-minded with the gospel but none of this could take place if there was not a willingness to, to show hospitality to one another. Uh, to open up not just their homes, but their hearts and their lives to one another. And we see this as an imperative in, Hebr- in Hebrews 10 in regards to um, the, the imperative that we are to gather together, right? It says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. But that's not the... The primary command in that passage. The primary command is that we're to do what? In the church. In that passage. It says we're to stir one another to what? To love and good deeds. Do not neglect the gathering of the brethren. Okay, see. The point is. If you want to uh, be obedient to the primary imperative there. The command to stir one another, you can't do this if you don't get together. You can't do this via text or Facebook or any other means. You've got to gather, gather, so don't neglect the gathering, because in doing so, you will neglect the command to minister to one another, to serve one another, to edify, and to stir each other love and good deeds. So you've, you've got to recognize the importance of this, uh, even beyond uh, S- Sunday morning gatherings, um, now th- going through the New Testament and looking at the passages where we are given direct exhortation to be hospitable, uh, we-, we walked through some, and as Shane preached through Romans twelve. But turn there real quick, just we're going to again fly through some of these. But in verse 7, he says, If service is in servings, or if he who teaches is teaching... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, actually, down in verse 13. As we're serving one another, as the gospel is, uh, has its effect to draw us towards unity, one of the things it exhorts us to is to contribute to the need of the saints, practicing hospitality, um, First Timothy three two and Titus one eight we see that 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 hospitality is a requirement of leaders. It's a qualification of a leader, which is not limited to just leaders. Uh, every man and every woman ought to aspire to the qualities and the characteristics uh, of of any godly individual. Uh, Hebrews thirteen twelve or thirteen chapter two. Says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So we, what that tells me is we can't be selective in who we show hospitality to. When it talks about strangers, uh, we want to be mindful that we not only want to associate with peers or even those. Uh, that have great influence and can benefit me, we want to associate with the lowly, uh, it says in Romans 12. So, because we never know, we might be entertaining angels, and there may be tremendous blessing through that. Um, But should we really even distinguish any man in regard to status or wealth or influence? And so, if we truly consider ourselves... As we ought to, and that is lowly, then we recognize whoever we serve in hospitality uh, is obedience to the lord and then first peter four nine which is where we will uh, spend some time in uh, probably says, connects really love and hospitality better than any of the passages. It says, Beloved, um, uh, let's start in verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That exhortation is connected. It's not two separate things. Love let love cover sins, forgive, and then, oh, by the way, show hospitality. No, we, we practice love by being hospital and doing it with, with uh, the right attitude and not complaining. Uh, but let's real quick, let me ask you, what are some of the benefits of hospitality? Whether it's in the world or in the church, what, what do you gain By being hospitable or by just hanging out with people? Relationships. Okay, talk about that. What about relationships? What's important about relationships? I I would say that looking, some of you I've met just a couple times, some for the first time today, that I have a relationship with each one of you at some level. But... Is that relationship able to fulfill the role that or the obligation that I have to stir you to love and good deeds? So there's more work to be done, right? There's more effort that has to be made uh, in that. So so what are some benefits beyond just relationship? Okay, great. Really, it's it's the mode by which we minister the Word of God uh, in edifying the believer, and in and then being able to build bridges and opportunities for the gospel with unbelievers. How does that help the church? How does this benefit the church? That's really the the purpose of it. Say that? it that again, Jeanette. Okay. Yeah, it strengthens the church in its unity, for sure. How does that happen? Right, all right, excellent, that's right. Now flip that, okay? I know that I have burdens and, and and there may be needs in my life, but turn that around. Okay, It's not always about my burdens, right? And we'll talk about that attitude. But how can I bear your burdens if I don't know your burdens? Because that's really the, the main command. It, the church is not some place where you can come and just cast off all your burdens. Uh, and we see that in 1 Peter 5. What, is, what does Peter say about that? He says, do not be anxious and cast your cares upon whom? Christ. Okay, There's a, there's a reason for that. It doesn't mean that, that, that there aren't needs being met in my life through the church. Sometimes that's the grace the Lord provides. But if each of us, you picture this, we wake up Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, if we're not on the setup teardown team, maybe that's the burden we're wanting to cast off. But you wake up and, and you just have had a horrible week, circumstances overcome you, but the grace of the Lord strengthens you to find not contentment in any of those things, but in Him. And you're able to just unload every worry and fear that you have on Him. And you come away confident knowing you can trust Him and He's given you and provided the grace needed. And you come emboldened to worship and praise Him and to serve the body. Imagine if every one of us came in having cast our burdens upon the Lord. What would that experience be like? And I'm not saying we that the experience here at Faith Community Church is one of just people coming and dumping problems and all that. But sometimes we come in, even if we're not looking for someone to pin in a corner and say, oh, i got to unload my cares and burdens upon you. But you just came in without the distractions. And I think this is the issue that hinders us with truly being hospitable. Truly being loving And welcoming and opening our lives up in a hospitable way to people is because we come in with so many burdens and distractions that we come away being unkind, unloving, uh, unwelcoming to people. Okay, so uh, looking at Romans 12:10. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is key because this is the, the type of love that is emphasized with hospitality. And we'll look at that in 1 Peter in a second. Brotherly love. Now, we know that there is a special kindred type of love we have towards our family and our brothers. That it's, it's a unique love. It's a special love. Now, some of you are conjuring up thoughts about your brother and how, uh, how little you appreciate or love your brother. But you, you have a special love for the most part for your family and your brother beyond what we have for just simply a, a neighbor or a stranger or even one another. But we're to have this love in the same way towards one another, in the same way we would love family because we are family and we are to be devoted to one another in that way giving preference to one another in honor Philippians 2 type attitude humbling ourselves uh, considering others more important than even ourselves Galatians 6 2 uh, says that we are to bear one another's burdens thereby fulfilling the law of Christ okay if you want to know the uh, what is required of you to please the Lord and what the law of Christ is? Care for one another. Take on one another's burdens, okay? Uh, again, we're not able to do that until we are able to trust the Lord with our own cares and our own worries and fears. But we want to come ready to bear one another's burdens. Uh, and then James 1.27 uh, which the book of James is all about serving the needy and dealing with those who are struggling with persecution. Um, but he says in James 27 Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So we want to have, through this idea of hospitality... We want to be benevolent and merciful. Okay, sometimes the problem we have in being able to serve people who are in need is it doesn't always fit within my schedule, doesn't always fit within what I want to do. It's always inconvenient. It's never, you never get the phone call about a need, whether it's a material need or an emotional or spiritual need. You never get that at the most convenient time in your schedule. And, 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 and honestly, it's typically of an urgent nature. You, you may have to drop what you're doing. But how many of us are ready and willing for that type of ministry? Kelly? It makes me think of Christ because that's the way he was often physically tired and hungry. Right. Right Yeah, his whole life was devoted to was a, just a big inconvenience. I mean think about that. It, even when we look at, um, at Rome, uh, Hebrews 12 uh, or Philippians 2, I mean, the call on his life while he's in the presence of his father being honored, as part of the, 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 the unified uh, Trinitarian uh, presence of God, uh, being honored and, 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 and served, asked to then leave that place for the sake of His call. And even in the garden, we know that He was inconvenienced, because it says that he asked the Lord to deliver him from this task. And so I always ask, you know, who did Christ die for? And the typical response is, well, he died for me. He died for the sinner. And, and I'm glad to rec- that you recognize you're a sinner. But you still have too high a view of yourself. He, he did not die for you. Now, he understood the implications of his death. And the atoning sacrifice that provided redemption and forgiveness for us, that was critical of what he was doing. But you didn't motivate him to die? I mean, what a high view you must have of yourself. You think you're worth dying for? So what was his motivation? He said in the garden, let let this cup pass. I don't want to do this. But not my will, your will be done. He did it for the pleasure of the Father. Not you, not me. So, Christ's whole life, Kelly, was an inconvenience. If, if He was not willing to be hospitable, and all the, the characteristics that have to come with that, which we'll talk about, um, then we would be in a, in a whole lot of trouble. Um, but are we practicing the same hospitality? Um, so, what are some ways we do practice hospitality in the church? How do we develop this type of relationship? And, and we have some a lot of things that are going on now. We do, you know, we do community groups. We do, you know, smaller Bible studies. Of course, our worship on Sunday morning. Um, we try to um, be welcoming to newcomers. We try to. We have a meal ministry that we do, we desire to serve. You know, whether it's our um, new mothers or. Uh, 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 multiple mothers women who become mother after mother as far as how many children they have um, but we try to serve in a lot of ways and uh, this is for the purpose of edifying, strengthening the body we have to practice and show hospitality uh, but Chris you mentioned earlier that it's also a ministry of outreach and, and, and if, if as the pastor of outreach and missions you know A lot of my thinking goes around how are we serving the community as a church? But more importantly, how are we equipping you to serve the community as a believer? And it's not all about evangelistic programs or outreach events. It's more about building up ministers of reconciliation within the body. And you cannot do this if you are not hospitable. If you do not have a hospitable spirit... And, and what that means biblically, you have no outreach ministry. If you think outreach simply is contained in a confrontation or an initial uh, initiative of evangelism, where you hang, which I have no problem with, we have several men that go to downtown Atlanta and they're engaging conversations in loving ways, but confrontational ways. If that's your mode of evangelism, you are not a minister of reconciliation. You cannot evangelize, you cannot be a witness, you cannot be a light if you do not have a hospitable spirit. Uh, and, and here's what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 5, we know the passage well. It's about, you know, this idea of uh, allowing a so-called brother to continue in the church in sin. And Paul's saying, look, you got to get rid of this guy. Uh, you're arrogant and thinking a little leaven is not going to leaven the whole lot. But look what he says in verse 9 of, of 1 Corinthians 5. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. But I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world. Or with the covetous and swindlers or idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. Because sometimes that's the idea that we have in the church. That we're only to contain our life within the comforts of the uh, uncorrupted church. And we have to protect ourselves from the corruption of the world. And yeah, there's an element of that in your life. But believe me, as we raise children, we recognize our children are not corrupt because of the influences in their life. They're corrupt from the day that they were born. The things that they the way they manifest their sin is not things that you taught them or that the world has influenced them in. Now there is a wisdom there. There's a way in which you have to instruct and guide your children to be wise in the world, but they're not corrupt because of the world. So lose the idea that the more you expose yourself to the world, the more tempted you're going to be. Okay, that that means that. We're going to have to pull ourselves out of the world, and guess what? There is no light in the world anymore. And that's what Paul's saying. Associate with the world. And that term, associate, simply talks about uh, building a level of intimacy with somebody else. To not just. Uh, it goes beyond just a cordial greeting at a grocery store or a wave to your neighbor as you pull in the garage, hitting that button as quick as you can so that door closes so that you don't have to get in a conversation. I've I've never done that. I just have heard people talk about that. Sadly, that's been an attitude. Um, But we're to associate with the world. Yes, even the immoral, corrupt, godless Neighbors and co-workers and family. We have to associate with the unbeliever. And how do we do this? We have to have a hospitable spirit. We have to understand what it means. And, and, and of course, we have to walk with wisdom in that. Uh, in knowing that we are susceptible to sin and we can't expose ourselves. And it doesn't mean we go to the bars you know, we, we don't indulge ourselves in the pleasures of the world for the sake of ministering to the world. But we associate in, in, in natural, wise ways with our neighbors, with our, our unbelieving friends, with our co-workers. And, and we'll look at First Peter on how we do that. But um, and, and in that, uh, it opens doors to share your faith naturally Uh, in a non-threatening environment rather than just trying to lead a conversation to an uncomfortable place. I mean, if any of you have ever kind of worked with, go ahead, Eric. Right. I think we as a church don't make it easy enough for people to make their needs. So means to own that and pain continues and hospitalities in shine. Right. Well again, it's a mutual thing. Um that's one thing that, that has to be and I agree with you, there are always ways we can improve, you know, uh information channels of information, logistics. Um, but we're always going to be limited, and it's really not uh, the imperatives that we see in in scriptures. The imperatives are always driven to us personally um, to be to to walk faithfully and obediently personally, and then how that then is incorporated into the body of of the dynamic of serving and loving and building up and and, and uh, edifying one another. Uh, so. It's always got to be mutual um, as far as knowing that when I am overwhelmed with burdens that I need help. But at the same time, if every one of us had our antennas up per se, going beyond just the cordial greeting and desiring to, again, show this hospitable spirit to welcome and open up our hearts to one another, then, then we're not going to be, you know, again, we still may need some formal means of communicating these needs because it is just more difficult to connect in a relational way, and, and, and we don't mind doing that. But at the same time, we've got to be actively pursuing people. Go ahead, Kelly. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was just gonna say, Eric, you and Teresa are so good about that. Yeah. Well that I always the hospitality when we talk about families and, and that do serve this church in that way, Teresa and Eric are always one of the first ones that come to my mind along with a few other families, so Well, that's really the point of this discussion, is how do we serve each other in that way? Uh, it, it can't happen on a Sunday morning. We, we know that, and we don't need to, to uh, really put pressure on ourselves. But the key is we, we, can't, we can't fulfill our obligation uh, to show hospitality and to serve one another on a Sunday morning. Uh, I'm going to have to ask Joel to let me have a part two to this because we really haven't gotten to the 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 really the meat of this message in 1 Peter 4 uh, verse 9 let me read that for you and kind of whet your appetite because um, whether he likes it or not I will be here next Sunday <laughs> if y'all don't mind Kelly do you think Joe will mind <laughs> well well um, I know he will be getting into uh, Hosea here soon, and and maybe I'll give him an extra week to continue to prepare for that. Um, but again, reading, uh, if you understand the purpose of this letter, which we'll get into a little the background a little bit next week, Peter is, his effort is to try to minister uh, through very difficult times in the church that it, that the... Uh, individuals and families were going through. This was on the heels of, of the great fire in Rome, which there are a lot of speculation as to how it started, but Nero ultimately just blamed the church and the Christians. Uh, so a lot of hostility was directed towards the the church and even to the Jews in Rome, and so there was a dispersion, and that persecution even went out to the, the Roman area and the region. And so this is a general epistle to the church to endure, to uh, understand the wis- or have wisdom in the struggles. Um, so in verse 7, he uh, kind of continues that thought in saying the end of all things is near. And, and we'll talk about, uh, again, uh, what what he's saying in a lot of these things he's, and says, so therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Uh, do not allow your prayers to be hindered in view of your circumstances. Don't be distracted. Con- uh, consider rightly these things you're experiencing, but above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. And we'll talk about uh, that type of love, the, the, uh, the, the biblical love that Peter's referring to there, and how it simply results in, you know what? This type of love is hard to offend. You're, you're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. You're going to feel neglected. But you know what? If you have true uh, agape love, I mean, it, it just covers those things. Because cause you're bent on one thing, and that is to show love. And, and you can't destroy that love. If we, you know, I've always said, if if we, if the Lord showed us the mercy that we show to others, would we have any hope? But we're so we we're so forgetful when it comes to the. If we truly understand the gospel and embrace the truth of it in in a way that transforms us from death to life, then then we should never ever be offended by those who hurt us because their hurt is not going to affect us in an eternal way because that's been secure. And Peter's saying that the end is near. And he's not talking about there's a certain time about to end. He's saying everything's about to come to completion. The Lord is doing something and he's almost about done with it. So you just have to endure and endure with love. Because that's how God is using you. Now, there are times when, obviously, we have to confront those who are caught in a trespass. But we don't confront them because I, I want to be vindicated. Why do we confront people? What's that? To restore. Mainly, not to restore this relationship, but there may be an issue with their relationship with God. And I want to restore that. It, Matthew 18 says, When your brother sins against you, go to him in private. If he listens, you've won your brother. Okay, it doesn't say if he listens, you won. Okay, you proved you were right. He was wrong. No, he says you've won your brother, which is a a, a redemptive means. It's a redemptive purpose. It's to not only restore your relationship with him, because that can even be selfish, but it's in hopes that, first of all, you go hoping, I hope I'm wrong. I have observed this, you've offended me. You know what? I need I need to validate it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I've misunderstood something. Because I love you. And and, and I don't I, I I hope that you wouldn't do something like this. And so you go hoping to hear an explanation. But if there's resentment, if there's anger, if there's unrepentance, then your burden grows deeper. Not because you walk away saying Dang it, He's not giving me what I deserve. He's not telling me that I'm right and He's wrong. No, you go out of a heart for their, the sake of their soul and you try to restore them. But anything apart from that, if we're to have the same mercy towards others that God showed towards us, we just overlook it. We pray for them and we just, we just recognize that, you know what, people are people. And I'm, I'm offending people all the time. And if you don't think you are, then you may be better than everybody else. But I don't think that, that true identity with Christ leads us to think that, that you know what, I'm better. Okay? I'm above these things. I don't treat people the way people treat me. I've never done that. There's a deception there. So you've got to have a love that's, that's just ready to recognize, you know what, I don't care how I view this. I, I love them. And I want the best for them. And I'm not going to mistreat them because I feel like they mistreated me. Uh, that's true God of love. And we're, we're going to look at that uh, you know, from a, the, the, the Greek language and all that and, and how Peter's trying to communicate that. But this leads to one particular attitude, and that is to be hospitable without complaint. And I think that's what Eric's talking about. That we have to manifest on a Sunday morning. Uh, that then spills over to all the other opportunities that we have to serve one another. Is that we got to come ready to remove the distractions of our life. And, and come ready to listen. And come ready to care. And if you sense or if someone you know, is willing to share something. Then you make the time. And you prepare yourself. And we'll talk about how we desire to equip you to minister the Word of God. Because typically when those things come up, the first thing you might think in your mind, Ooh, I need to let Joel know this. I need to, to let the pastors know that somebody's struggling. And yes, we want to be involved in that. We want to minister and shepherd in those. But you know what? You have to be equipped to do the same. Uh, we can't handle Uh, all the needs that are out there. You have to be equipped and ready to serve. Because the way I put it is the Lord informed you of what you need to know when you need to know it for the purpose of ministering, showing hospitality. Uh, And again, I'm going to next week get beyond this. When I say hospitality, get beyond thinking having somebody over for a meal. It may involve that, but that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about hospitality. So any thoughts, questions, comments from that? And I hope Joel lets me come back uh, and we'll finish up 1 Peter 4.9. I appreciate your interaction and questions and comments, but anything else? Okay, let me pray for us.